Chapter 16, The Singing. When Lina heard the guards shout, terror shot through her. She ran faster than she ever had before, her heart pounding wildly. Behind her, the guards kept up their shouting, and she knew that if other guards were nearby, they would come running. She had to find a hiding place. Ahead of her was Bilbolio Square. Was there a spot she could duck into? And like an answer, Dune's words came back to her. The library. It's almost always open, even on holidays. She didn't have time to think. She didn't ask herself whether Edward Pocket would be willing to hide her or whether there would even be a good place to hide in the library. She just ran for the passageway that led to the library door and darted down it. But the library door wouldn't open. She turned the knob frantically. She pulled and pushed. And then at the same time that she heard the running footsteps of the guards coming into the square, she saw the small handwritten sign stuck to the door, closed for the singing. The guards were very near now. If she ran, they would see her. She flattened herself against the wall, hoping they wouldn't think to look in the library passage, but they did. Here she is, yelled one of the guards. She tried to shoot past him, but the passage was too narrow and he caught her by the arm. She pulled and twisted and kicked, but the chief guard had her now too. He gripped her other arm with fingers that felt like iron. Stop your struggling, he shouted. Lina reached up and grabbed a handful of his wiry beard. She pulled with all her might, and the chief guard roared, but he didn't let go. He yanked her forward almost off the ground, and the two guards dragged her across the square at an awkward, lopsided pace that made her stumble over her own feet. You're hurting me, Lina said. Don't hold so tight. Don't you tell us what to do, said the chief guard. We'll hold you tight till we get you where you're going. Where is that, said Lina. She was so enraged at her bad luck that she almost forgot to be afraid. You're going to see the mayor, Missy, said the chief guard. He'll decide what to do with you. But I haven't done anything wrong. Spreading vicious rumors, said the guard, telling dangerous lies calculated to cause civic unrest. It's not a lie, she said, but the guard gripped her arm even more tightly and gave her a shove so she stumbled sideways. No talking, he said, and they walked the rest of the way in grim silence. A few people had already gathered in Harkin Square, though the workers were still getting it ready for the singing. Street sweepers crossed the square back and forth, pushing their brooms. Someone appeared at a second floor window of a building on Gilly Street and unfurled one of the banners that was always displayed for the singing. A long piece of red cloth, faded after years of use, but still showing its design of wavy lines, representing the river, the source of all power. That was for the Song of the River. There would be a banner on the Broad Street side of the square too. This one, deep yellow gold, with a design like a grid to represent the song of the city, and another banner on the Otterwill side for the song of darkness, perfectly black except for a narrow yellow edge. The guards marched Lina up the steps of the gathering hall and through the wide doorway. They took her down the main corridor, opened the door at the end, and gave her one last push, a push that caused her to stagger forward in an undignified way and bump up against the back of a chair. It was the same room she'd been in that other much happier day, her first day as a messenger. Nothing had changed. 
the frayed red curtains, the armchairs with the upholstery worn thin, the hideous mud-colored carpet, the portraits on the wall looked down at her sorrowfully. Sit there, said the chief guard. He pointed at a small, hard-looking chair that faced the large armchair. Lina sat. Next to the chair was the small table she remembered from before, with the china teapot and a tray of china teacups with chips around their edges. The chief guard left the room to find the mayor, Lina supposed. The other one stood silently with his arms folded across his chest. Nothing happened for a while. Lina tried to think about what she would say to the mayor, but her mind wouldn't work. Then the door to the front hall opened, and the mayor came in. It was the first time Lina had seen him up close since she had delivered Looper's message to him. He seemed even more immense. His baggy face was the color of a mushroom. He wore a black suit that stretched only far enough across his vast belly for one button to connect with its buttonhole. He moved ponderously across the room and settled into the armchair, filling it completely. Next to his chair was a table, and on the table was a brass bell the size of a fist. The mayor gazed for a moment at Lina with eyes that looked like the openings of tunnels, and then he turned to the guard. Dismissed, he said, waving the back of his hand at him. Return when I ring the bell. The guard left. The mayor swung his gaze back to Lina. I am not surprised, he said. He lifted one arm and pointed a finger at Lina's face. You have been in trouble before, going where you shouldn't. Lina started to speak, but the mayor held up his hand. It was an oddly small hand with short fingers, like ripe pea pods. Curiosity, said the mayor. A dangerous quality, unhealthy, especially regrettable in one so young. I'm 12, said Lina. Silence said the mayor. I am speaking. He wriggled slightly from side to side, wedging himself more firmly into the chair. He'll need to be pried out of it, Lina thought. Ember, as you know, the mayor went on, is in a time of difficulty. Extraordinary measures are necessary. This is a time when citizens should be most loyal, most law-abiding, for the good of all. Lina said nothing. She watched how the flesh under the mayor's chin bulged in and out as he spoke. And then she turned her eyes from this unpleasant sight and looked carefully around the room. She was thinking now, calculating, but not about what the mayor was saying. The duties of a mayor, said the mayor, are complex, cannot be understood by regular citizens, particularly children. That is why... He went on, leaning slightly forward so that his stomach pushed farther out along his lap. Certain things must remain hidden from the public. The public would not understand. The public must have faith, said the mayor once again, holding up his hand, this time with a finger pointing to the ceiling. That all is being done for their benefit, for their own good. Hogwash, said Lina. The mayor jerked backward. His eyebrows came down over his eyes, making them into dark slits. What? he said. Surely I heard you incorrectly. I said hogwash, said Lina. It means 
Do not presume to tell me what it means, the mayor cried. Impudence will make things worse for you. He was breathing heavily, and his words came out with spaces between them. A misguided child, such as yourself, requires a forceful lesson. His short fingers gripped the arms of the chair. Perhaps, he said, your curiosity has led you to wonder about the prison room. What could it be like, eh? Dark, cold, uncomfortable? He made the smile that Liner remembered from assignment day. His lips pulled away from his small teeth, his gray cheeks folded. You will have a chance to find out. You will become closely acquainted with the prison room. The guards will escort you there. Your accomplice, another known troublemaker, will join you as soon as he is located. The mayor turned to look for the bell. This was the moment when Lina had planned to make a dash for freedom. She thought she had a slim chance to succeed if she moved fast enough, but something happened in that instant that gave her head a that gave her a head start. The lights went out. There was no flicker this time, just sudden complete darkness. It was fortunate that Lina had already planned her move and knew exactly which way to go. She leapt up, knocking over her chair. With her arm, she made a wide swipe and knocked over the table next to the chair as well. The furniture thumping to the floor, the teapot chattering, and the mayor's enraged shouts made a clamor that covered the sound of her footsteps as she dashed to the stairway door. Was it unlocked? She reached for the knob. Grunts and squeaks told her that the mayor was struggling to rise from his chair. She turned the knob and pulled, and the door sprang open. She closed the door behind her and leapt upward two steps at a time. Even in the pitch dark, she could climb stairs. In the room, the bell clanged and clanged and the mayor bellowed. When she got to the first landing, she heard the guards shouting. There was a crash. Someone must have fallen over the toppled chair or table. Where is she? Someone yelled. Must have run out the door. Did they know which door? She didn't hear footsteps behind her. If she could make it to the roof, and if from the roof she could jump to the roof of the prison room, and from there to the street, then maybe she could escape. Her lungs were on fire now. Her breath was burning her throat, but she climbed without stopping, and when she came to the top, she burst through the door to the roof and ran out. And that was when the lights came back on. It was as if the blackout had been arranged especially for her. I am so lucky, she thought so extremely lucky. Ahead of her was the clock tower. She went around to the other side of it. No dancing on the roof this time. A low wall ran along the edge of the building. Lina approached it cautiously and peered out over the swarm of people assembling in Harkin Square. Directly below her was the entrance of the gathering hall, and as she watched, two guards dashed out the door and down the steps. Good, they had gone the wrong way. They must think she'd escaped into the crowd. For the moment, she was safe. The clock in the tower began to chime. Three great booms rang out. It was time for the singing to begin. Lina gazed down at the people of Ember, gathered to sing their songs. They stood so close together that she could see only their faces, which were lifted up toward the sky. 
with the hard, bright lights shining down on them. They were silent, waiting for the songmaster to appear on the gathering hall steps. There was a strange hush, as if the city were holding its breath. Of the whole ember year, Lina thought, this hush before the singing was one of the most exciting moments. She remembered other years when she had stood with her parents, too short to see the songmaster's signal, too short to see anything but people's backs and legs, and waited for the first note to thunder out. She felt her heart move at that moment every year. The sound would rise in waves around her like water, almost as if it could lift her off the ground. Now suddenly the moment came again. From hundreds of voices rose the first notes of the song of the city, deep and strong. She felt as she had all the years before, a quivering inside, as though a string under her ribs had been plucked and a rush of joy and sadness mixed together. The deep rumbling chords of the song filled Harkin Square. Lina felt that she might step off the edge of the building and walk across the air. It seemed so solid with sound. The song of the city was long. There were verses about streets of light and walls of stone, about citizens with sturdy hearts, about stored abundance never ending. Not true, Lina thought. But at last, the song of the city wound down to its end. The singers held the final note, which grew softer and softer, and then there was silence again. Lina looked out at the lighted streets spreading away in every direction, the streets she knew so well. She loved her city, worn out and crumbling though it was. She looked up at the clock, ten minutes after three. Dune would be getting ready to leave for the pipeworks. She didn't know whether he'd seen her being captured. If he had, he would be wondering if she'd been locked into the prison room. He'd be wondering if she should try to rescue her or if he should go down the river by himself. She should be hurrying to join him, but a sadness held her back, like a heavy stone in her chest. She bent her face into the palms of her hands and pressed hard against her closed eyes. How could she go away from Ember and leave Poppy behind? Because if she went, she must leave Poppy behind, mustn't she? How could she take her on a journey of such danger? The song of the river startled her when it began, the men's voices low and rolling, swelling with power, and then the women's voices coming in above with a complicated melody that seemed to fight the current. Lina listened, unable to move. The song of the river made her uneasy. It always had. With its rolling, relentless rhythm, it seemed to urge her onward, saying, go down, go away, go now. The more she listened, the more she felt something like the motion of the river in her stomach, a churning, sickening feeling. Then came the song of darkness, the last of the three songs, and the one most filled with longing and majesty. The soul of Ember was in this song. Its tremendous chords held all the sorrow and all the strength of the people of the city. The song reached its climax. Darkness like an endless night, sang the hundreds of voices, so powerfully the air seemed to shiver. And at that moment, the lights once more went out. The voices faltered, but only for an instant. Then they rose again in the darkness, stronger even than before. Lina sang too. She stood up and sang with all her might into the deep, solid blackness. The last notes echoed and faded into a terrible silence. Lina stood utterly still. Will it end like this, she thought? at the finish of the last song. She felt the cold stone of the clock tower behind her back. She waited, 
Then an idea came to her that made her skin prickle. What if she were to shout into the silence right now? What if she were to say, listen people, we've found the way out of Ember. It's the river, we go on the river. She could announce the astounding news just as she and Dune had planned to do. And then, and then what would happen? Would the guards rush to the roof and seize her? Would the people in the square think her news was just a child's wishful thinking? Or would they listen and be saved? She could feel the words pushing upward in her throat. She wanted so much to say them. She took a deep breath and leaned forward. But before she could speak, a rumble of voices arose below. Someone shouted, don't move. And someone else shrieked. The rumble rose to a roar and then cries flew into the darkness from everywhere. The crowd was erupting into panic. There was no hope of being heard now. Lina clutched the edge of the clock tower as if the tumult below might cause her to fall. She strained her eyes against the darkness. Without light, she could go nowhere. Lights, come back on, she prayed, come back on. Then she saw something. At first she thought her eyes were tricking her. She closed them tightly and opened them again. It was still there, a tiny point of light moving. As she watched, it moved along slowly in a straight line. Then it turned and moved in a straight line again. Was it on River Road? She couldn't tell, but suddenly she knew what it was. It was Dune with a candle. Dune going toward the pipeworks in the dark. And she wanted to go too. She could feel it all through her, the urge to run and meet him and find the way out of Ember to the new place. She listened to the shouts and wails of the terrified people in the square below. She thought of Mrs. Murdo down there in the dark, being bumped and pushed with her arms wrapped tightly around Poppy, trying to protect her, and all at once everything seemed clear. Lina knew what she would do. If only the lights would come back on. If only this was not the very last blackout in the history of Ember. Watching the tiny light following its steady course, she made a wish with the whole force of her heart and mind. Then the floodlights flickered. There was a great cry of hope from the crowd and the lights came on and stayed on. Lina ran to the back edge of the roof, dropped easily down onto the roof of the prison room and seeing no guards in the crowd that was now streaming into the street, she jumped from there to the ground and joined the throng of people. She made her way down Greystone Street going at the same pace as everyone else so she wouldn't stand out. When she came to the trash can enclosure behind the gathering hall, she squatted down and hid. Her heart was beating fast, but she felt strong and purposeful now. She had her plan. As soon as she spotted Mrs. Murdo and Poppy on their way home, she put it into action. <laughs>